much has been made by historians of the Earl of Warwick's growing irritation during the 1460s, especially over the King's secret marriage to Elizabeth Woodville in 1464. We are also told that Warwick was disappointed that Edward did not give him the influence over policy that he believed he deserved. Yes, you're right, he had an ego to die for, and sooner or later he would. In his disappointment, Warwick began to consider an alternative to Edward. After all, if one powerful duke could seize the throne, then why not another? His attentions were therefore focused on Edward's younger brother, George, Duke of Clarence, who seemed an obvious choice because his claim to the throne was just as good as Edward's, especially if Edward was without Warwick's support. An obvious choice then, except George was not the man Edward was, and no one would seek to supplant the king with his younger brother unless he was very desperate. Unfortunately for England, Warwick was beginning to feel desperate by about 1468. Why? Well, folks, it's got a lot to do with sons and daughters. Warwick had no sons and two daughters. As I've said before, a favourable marriage was a major tool in noble advancement, as Warwick found with his own marriage, which added enormously to his wealth and power. Thus, at least one of his daughters would have to secure a really great marriage, and the best, perhaps the only option amongst the higher nobility, would have been Henry Stafford, Duke of Buckingham, since he had royal lineage as a descendant of Edward III. Yes, I know almost everyone seemed to be one of that king's descendants. But Buckingham also had enormous land holdings, which, if combined with the Warwick inheritance, would achieve a very effective power base for the Neville family. That all sounds great, except for one tiny detail. In 1465, Buckingham, aged 11, had been swiftly married off to one of the new Queen's Woodville sisters, Catherine, aged six. They married early in those days. So Buckingham was thus unavailable. And if the noble line of Richard Neville, Earl of Warwick, was not to be subsumed into a lesser noble house, his daughters must marry up. In other words, into royalty. Enter George, Duke of Clarence, available eligible and royal. This would be the perfect match to secure the future of the Neville family. King Edward, however, dismissed out of hand the idea of a Neville marriage to either of his brothers. Perhaps Warwick did have a genuine cause for complaint, since in his eyes the king had denied him Buckingham and was now ruling out the two royal dukes as well. But from Edward's point of view, he, like Warwick, had two daughters and no sons. How dangerous would it be if the heir presumptive, his brother George, married into the most powerful noble family in England, while Edward still had no male heir of his own? A further hurdle was that a papal dispensation would be required since George and Warwick's daughters were cousins. The church did not normally allow marriages between first cousins, but if kings asked nicely, an exception would be made and a dispensation given. In spite of the king's opposition, 
Warwick persisted with the project through 1467 and at some point began secret negotiations with the Pope for the necessary dispensation. The summer of 1467 marks the first really low point in the relationship between the King and Warwick. By the end of that summer, Warwick's favoured foreign policy of an alliance with France was demolished when Edward opted for an alternative alliance with the enemy of France, Burgundy. Here is not the place to discuss the relative merits of the two foreign policies, but this humiliation of Warwick, at least that was how he saw it, set the Earl on a collision course with the King. Warwick went home to his estates to lick his wounds. That does not mean that he had decided upon rebellion, but it does mean that he was considering his options. Apart from the French fiasco, he was also resentful of the rise of other men at court, notably the Queen's father, Earl Rivers, and brother, Anthony Woodville, Lord Scales. But especially, he resented William Herbert, the new Earl of Pembroke. Herbert was a rising star in the Yorkist firmament, and his growing power in Wales set him against Warwick, who had long-standing interests there. Herbert also appeared to be spreading rumours, also going around the French court at the time, that the disaffected Warwick was now in league with the deposed Lancastrian queen, Margaret of Anjou. Privately, King Edward must have dismissed this notion as laughable, but he could not completely ignore it. When he asked Warwick to come to London to answer the rumours, the Earl was reluctant. In the end, early in 1468, he did so, but only in the most grudging and unbending manner. Despite Warwick's attitude, the King continued to reward him with lands and income, as if Warwick was short of such things. It has been noted before that Edward preferred conciliation to confrontation with his leading subjects, sometimes at very great risk to himself. Here again, we see the king trying hard to win over Warwick rather than drive him away. But it became increasingly obvious during 1468 that Warwick would not accept being merely one of a number of royal advisers. The earl did not really buy into the concept of first among equals. Whilst his leading magnate was sulking, Edward had more pressing problems. There had been a notable increase in lawlessness during 1466, 67 and into 1468. One of the most enduring planks of any Yorkist manifesto had been to reduce corruption and restore law and order. But it appeared to many folk that Edward was failing to do so. Part of the renewed unrest was down to an increase in the activities of Lancastrian loyalists. It seemed that every time Edward thought he had restored control, new pockets of resistance popped up. Whilst none of these were large-scale, taken together they were certainly worrying. During 1468, however, Warwick returned to London and the documentary evidence tells us that he and his brothers, George, lately removed as Chancellor, and John, Lord Montague, were all prominently involved in government. 
So, to judge from appearances, the Nevilles were back on board the good ship Edward. But all was not quite as it seemed. By 1469, Warwick was actively pursuing two converging policies against Edward. The first of these was to cultivate an alliance with the Duke of Clarence through a marriage with Warwick's elder daughter, Isabel, for which Warwick still awaited a papal dispensation. Why did Clarence go along with this? Basically because whilst he was handsome and charming like his brother, he lacked many of Edward's other, better qualities. Despite the immense rewards showered upon him since the victory of 1461, Clarence was still dissatisfied. He was ambitious and viewed a marriage to the elder Neville heiress as an excellent way of increasing his already large land holdings and power. Warwick's second policy was to exploit and focus the growing disaffection of the commons against Edward's government. In the spring of 1469, he used his men in the north to positively encourage rebellion. Though it is certain that the commons had legitimate grievances, it is unlikely they would have risen in such numbers without the promise of support from some local members of the gentry who just happened to be committed to the earl. Warwick was also promoting his own image through propaganda, a favourite Yorkist weapon, and of course his fabled generosity to all and sundry. Then, as now, Folk are easily swayed by rich men who promise the poor better times. Between April and July 1469, there were several risings in the north. It's almost unbelievable how little we know about these revolts, for the available sources are not only sparse but contradictory. This has led to much confusion about the whole episode. We don't really know for certain whether there was one rebellion or two, or even three. What then do we know? Well, the first rebellion in the spring of 1469 appears to have been motivated as much by a desire to restore the influence of the Percy family as any other grievance. Needless to say, John Neville, Lord Montague, who of course was Warwick's brother, had no reservations about crushing any pro-Percy revolt. It seems unlikely, therefore, that Warwick had any role in encouraging that uprising. However, we do know that Warwick was behind a larger revolt in the summer and helped to direct its manifesto. Its apparent leader went by the name of Robin of Reedsdale, but he was most likely one of Warwick's close retainers in the north. This summer revolt was much more dangerous for the king, but Edward reacted very slowly to the threat of rebellion making a rather laboured progress to Nottingham to raise troops to counter the rebels. While Edward was moving, albeit sluggishly, to deal with the revolt Warwick had helped to promote, the Earl himself was elsewhere. At the end of June 1469, the Earl announced the Clarence Neville marriage in a letter to his supporters in Coventry, and almost at once, in early July, he departed with his brother, Archbishop George Neville, along with Clarence and Isabel, to Calais, where the marriage itself took place. After that, Warwick made his intentions crystal clear, directly associating himself with the northern rebels 
and issuing a rather sinister statement which compared the ills of the present regime with the failures of Edward II, Richard II and Henry VI, all of whom, of course, had been deposed. Having launched his propaganda campaign, Warwick then returned to England. Meanwhile, the northern rebels swept southwards, bypassing the king to arrive in the Midlands, opposed only by the armies of William Herbert and another upstart from Warwick's perspective, Humphrey Stafford, Earl of Devon. At this critical moment in his reign, Edward for once was slow to grasp what was happening. Betrayal by Warwick, but also by his own brother, must still have seemed unthinkable to him. He did not know how many rebels there were, or that Warwick was hurrying to join them. Edward assumed that his loyal earls, Herbert and Stafford, would have sufficient strength to suppress the revolt. He assumed, but he did not know for certain. And yes, England was back in crisis mode again.